I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, we're on with our round table with Dr. Paul Meyer. Paul, thank you so much yet again for coming on the show. Thanks, Kristen. It's always my pleasure. (laughs) So tonight I was thinking before we hit record, I was like, well, I wonder what we're going to talk about tonight. You know, we usually listeners figure this out you know, maybe three minutes before we, maybe even sometimes three seconds before we hit record. So it was interesting to get on with Paul before we hit record and say, well, what are we talking about? And, and you mentioned, you know, existential crisis and I want to. Yeah. And existential despair and existential crisis. (laughs) Yep. So I, I looked it up on Wikipedia and here's the definition on Wikipedia. An existential crisis is a moment at which an individual questions if their meaning or if their life has meaning, purpose, or value. It may be commonly, but not necessarily, tied to depression or inevitably negative speculations on purpose in life. As an example, if one day I will be forgotten, what is the point of all my work? This issue of the meaning and purpose of human existence is a major focus of philosophical, traditional discussions of existentialism. So I was just saying to Paul before we hit record, this really hits home tonight. And he said, why? And I said, I'm going to save it for the show. <laughs> so yeah, because I wanted to know why. But the, the yeah. reason I thought of it, the reason I thought of it is uh, I saw some new patients today at at my office that were uh, – suicidal and you know and they were having despair and uh and i I, like one gal that i talked to when she was 14 and she came from a nice family she comes from a nice family but when she was 14 she had a crush on a guy and uh i mean you know they never dated or anything you know she she was 14 Mm -hmm. and they didn't really know each other that that well i don't think but she had a, a strong crush on a guy and he moved away. And so she tried to hang herself and she mm-hmm. was unconscious and almost died. But then she changed her mind. She was conscious enough to change her mind or she would have died. And, and so, you know, then, so, so I asked, what was her purpose in life hmm. at age 14? I, you know, it was to, to, I don't know. I mean, it, it was to find somebody to, to, uh, uh, validate her, I guess, and make right. her feel important by falling in love with her. And uh, when you're young, you think, you know, even the songs that that young people listen to, and even older people sometimes, yeah, I can't live without you, you know, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I don't exist and, without and you. you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's yeah. eight billion people out there, and and it hurts when you lose somebody you love, but it doesn't mean life should cease existing. Right. And. Uh, so there's a lot of different reasons why why uh, people exist, and some are conscious and some are unconscious. Um, I talked to another person today who is real smart. You know, uh, she's real smart and really nice uh, young lady, and uh, 
And she really came to realize that her purpose in life is to fail. Mm. And uh, so she succeeds, you know, she, she's successful in her career and everything, but her real purpose in life is to fail because she doesn't feel like she deserves to succeed. Mm. You know, I think about Richard Nixon, you know, he came in second in his class and at Duke law school and strove, you know, he worked real hard to, to excel in life and, he came from a real strict Quaker home where, you know, he had a, a, a guilt trip laid on him a lot by his parents. And and uh, so he worked his way to the top and became president, but um, got impeached because uh, he insisted on holding on to 11 minutes of a tape recording that he could have. I'm not saying that he should have or, you know, what he right. did was wrong, but I mean, compared to what politicians do today it's like you know i know like cheating like at cards crayons you know? yeah crayons and a coloring yeah. book compared to what goes on today yeah. yeah 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 but but he i think he had an unconscious need to fail to um right. deep down because uh, he didn't you know he had all that guilt and or wanted to get even uh or something like that and i might be totally wrong but there's um there's reasons why we all um, live and uh, there's a reason why most people are in a rat race but once you share and I'll come back to the rat race <laughs> later yeah I was thinking this today like um, last week I went to a conference and usually these days when I go and I do broadcasting you know I'm, I'm recording uh, shows with speakers or vendors or participants of a conference, I now have a requirement that I take a sound engineer with me because it's a lot of work. You know, I'm usually put in a media room and uh, for this particular conference, which was wonderful, it was an autism conference for one of our shows, which is called uh, Converge Autism Radio. And this hospital, Springbrook, does incredible work. I mean, it just it's awe-inspiring what they do. And Dr. Temple Grandin was their keynote speaker, and um, we've interviewed many, many, many of the other speakers. And here I am by myself. I'm in the media room, and I'm doing show after show after show. And I ended up doing 14 shows in two days. Are you kidding? No, wow. I'm not. And I used to wear that. I used to wear that kind of stuff, like a badge of honor. I did 14 shows in two days. I bet you were zonked. I was exhausted. And uh, they were all good shows. And I interviewed people on the spectrum, people not on the spectrum. Um, it was It was incredible. And I thought about it after. And not only did I do that, but I also then went home and visited my ex-husband and spent time with him. And there's still some family drama there and uh, had, you know, a lot of other things that go on. And then I had a couple organizations that want me to now produce and be a co-host on a television show about mental health. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff coming in cool. my direction. Yeah. And I thought, okay, okay, so let's take a step back and let's look at all of these things that are going on and really breathe that in. And let's not do what you've done in the past, which is, oh, I'm such a mighty warrior because the yoke that I can carry on my back is so huge. <laughs> <laughs> which is also so unhealthy. <laughs> yeah, we take on uh, perfectionists, mm -hmm. take on too much. Mm -hmm. So I was very aware of that I was as I was going into it, and I gave myself a lot of breaks, and I took myself away from uh, the media room, and I took walks, and I really paid attention to, okay, this is not a, a competition to show people what a superhuman you are. That that's not even a real competition. Um, how can you do this without going to that place, which is very egocentric and not healthy. So um, I still did 
the vast number of shows I did, but I did them without, I guess, my ego hanging around my neck around it. And I actually did a better job. Um, and I did it, uh, much more gratefully than I have in the past, which I thought was interesting. And I also made a statement to myself, this is the very last um, conference that you're going to go to where it's just you. You will always have a sound person with you. And if they can't afford to pay for you to bring one, then you're going to say no and decline going. So it was, it was just, it was an interesting experience to tell myself those things, you know? But it wore you out. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, it's Monday and I am, I am definitely tired. I feel good, but I'm for sure tired. Yeah. I, when I was uh, 30 and got out of my residency at Duke, I, I thought um, my purpose in life was to do everything I was asked to do. You know, mm-hmm. to rescue the world, you know, yep. yeah. and, uh, and I, and I thought that was my duty, um, as a believer in God and was to do, you know, everything everybody asked me to do. And I, I tried and I got more and more and more burned out and I was, yeah. because I was doing too much. And, uh, then, you know, one morning I was reading in my Bible where Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I got mad. I got mad at Jesus for saying that. You know, I said, "No, it's not." <laughs> you know, and I, I call up a buddy of mine. We were cadaver mates in medical school, and he's he's a he was a psychiatrist too. He's passed on since then. But but I, I called him up and said, "Hey, you know, you know, I, I read this verse this morning, and it doesn't seem, you know, it seems like the heavenly Father wants me to." do so much and I can't do it. And yet the Bible says that his yoke is easy. And he says, well, uh, your heavenly father isn't German, you know, because <laughs> my parents were, my dad was a German immigrant. And if I got all A's and a B, he'd say, why'd you get that B? You know? And so mm-hmm. part of the way I saw God was, and what he wanted, what he expected of me was to do everything everybody asked. And so I slowed down and I actually got more done when I slowed down and just did a few things. Right. And when I try to do a lot of them, so it's I hard. thought of that when you talked about, yeah. you know, you were having so many demands on you. It, it's an interesting thing because you, I don't have the, the, the disease. I think I've worked through a lot of that. Thank goodness for great therapists um, where I feel that need to please everybody. I definitely say no, uh, but it doesn't decrease the, amount of opportunity that shows up in front of you. Um, I, I'm asked every day to be a part of something that sounds fantastic. And, um, and I have to be very discerning about what I will say yes to. And that's a wonderful problem to have because there were the years where nobody was asking me to do a damn thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So, you know, um, and another thing that messes that messes me up is there's some days that I have a lot of energy, you know, and there's mm-hmm. other days when when you know I mean I you know I still do a good job and everything, but I just don't have you know that much energy. And uh, if somebody asks me to do something six months from now on one of my energetic days, then I say, <laughs> oh sure, I could do that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> sign me up. You know, I tell my secretary write it down, and then and then when it comes time to go travel to that place and do that, right. you know, then, then I think, you know, if it's a time when I'm not at an energetic peak, I, peak, I think, why in the world did I volunteer to do this? You know, <laughs> Right. I've done the why, same thing. Why, Who I mean, signed me up for this? Oh, I, I did. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and, and I, and I've told, uh, uh, when, when, uh, people have asked me to go speak to a group of a hundred people in another state or something like that, I ask myself, well, why why do I want to go travel to another state and be away from my wife for a couple of days and everything right. to speak to 100 people when I can get on uh, the phone uh, with Kristen and and talk to 10 or 20,000 people yeah. on the iPad? I mean, we're we're right now we're talking to thousands in our listening family, and this is being recorded. So 20 years from now, people 
will listen to this if they, if they pick this topic to listen to. Yeah. So, I mean, see what I mean? Uh, it, it's hard to get our priorities straight sometimes. It is. It is. And when we tie that into, you know, an existential crisis, I think in the past I would have thought, oh, well, that's when, you know, it's, you feel terrible and there's a lot of pain going on and there's strife and uh, sadness and people don't, I don't think realize that existential crisis can also happen when it's rainbows and sunshine that you see outside that you're walking through. You're, you're being given what many people would say are gifts and yet you're still having a crisis because it's a lot. I mean, I'm thinking the same thing. I got invited to speak at two different events in May and it's going to be back to back flights and trying to get to both of them. And it's an honor the organizations that have asked me to speak, it's an honor to do so. And I spent my time trying to convince them on the last phone call, at least one organization. Well, you know, I really don't have to be there. Like we could do this all where you call in. <laughs> I did that recently because I had volunteered to speak somewhere. And then, and then I found out I'd, you know, it was so far away from big cities that, you know, I'd have to, ride in a mm-hmm. car. I'd have to fly to another city and ride in a car for three hours and yeah. get there the night before and all that. And, and so we set it up where I could do it on video. But anyway, let's, we need to get where most people that are listening to us right now don't have the opportunities that we have. They, you know, they're, they're doing different kinds of right. jobs and careers and things like that. And, uh, I saw I saw another lady today, another new one. I saw some really sad cases today. But one nice thing about the psychiatrist is being a psychiatrist is because I know in a month they're probably all going to feel better with some counseling. Mm, right. But anyway, I saw I saw an elderly uh, woman today who lost her husband, you know, about five years ago. But she's still grieving. She's still angry about it, and living alone. And, uh, and, and refuses to take an antidepressant and, uh, I, I, and, uh, her, she's got existential despair. I mean, her mm. existence is sitting there feeling lonely and angry and still grieving all these years later. And I said, well, have you thought about getting a roommate or, you know, the different options for having more fellowship? No, oh, I, I, I like living alone. I don't want a roommate. And, and so, you know, anything I suggested, pretty much she say no to, and she right. left like that. But I'm still going to try to persuade her to get into some counseling and maybe take an antidepressant or something. But um, uh, Solomon, King Solomon said, I'm looking at the beginning of Ecclesiastes here. And that's a, a whole book on existential despair, you know? <laughs> but, it, but it has a positive ending, but. He starts it with uh, King Solomon started this 3,000 years ago by writing um, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come from uh, where they return again. All things are wearisome, uh, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. And he goes on, you know, <laughs> so, right. uh, oh yeah. And then no one remembers the former generations, even those yet to come. That's that quote that you read. We will not be remembered by those who follow them, but, but he concludes it. So he goes into the meaninglessness of life to show how a lot of people think, but then he concludes the chapter by saying, uh, you know, the only thing that gives life meaning. And I found that to be true in my life. I know you have too, is to, 
uh, serve God and man. It's not that like that's the only thing we do. I mean, we have fun, fellowship, and right, you know, all that stuff. But but uh, to serve God and man, and uh, if you do that, then you have meaning in life. Sometimes too, it's those little things. Like I, um, you know, I apologize to someone that I didn't get something done as I was supposed to. Uh, it fell through the cracks and. Um, I wrote back and said, I'm so sorry I didn't get this done. You know, here's a discount on blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, it was a fair business thing I felt to offer was I didn't get it done. Here's a discount on, you know, the next charge, blah, blah, blah. And like a light, I got an email back saying, I refuse to accept a discount for anything. I know how hard you work. It was a mistake. We all make them. Yep. And I will not accept a discount. Keep moving forward. Thank you for resolving the issue. And let's go. And I about burst into tears. <laughs> what? <laughs> not because... just be at how nice it was to receive that. Um, how nice it was to hear someone acknowledge that you do work really hard or that I work really hard um, yeah. and that someone notices not in a, Oh, someone notices me maudlin way. Not, you know, not like that at all. Just mm -hmm. like, yeah. In the midst of the busyness of everyday life and everybody's going as fast as they can to get as much done as they can to have someone who puts as much thought into um, what you do as much thought as what they put into what they do and that they notice. And, um, it was just nice to to read that and go, okay, right, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, it's a nice reminder. Yeah, it, is, it is nice to be appreciated, and uh, that's something all of you in our listening family right now can can uh, latch onto is um, think of somebody today or tomorrow that uh, you can encourage or you can say something yes. nice for, or even do something nice for without them even knowing it. Absolutely. You know, that makes you feel good, uh, too. I, I, I mentioned earlier the rat race. And let, let me tell you what I believe the rat race is. I believe that there's 8 billion people on planet Earth. And all 8 billion of us, to some extent or another, feel like a nobody. Mm. I think we all have some of those feelings, you know, like like we're a nobody. And we, there isn't a whole lot of meaning to our lives. And I think the vast majority of people go through life trying to prove that they're not a nobody. And they do it through, um, in psychological terms, through sex, power, and money, primarily. And uh, right. in, uh, in biblical terms, it's uh, less of the flesh, less of the eyes, and the pride of life. But they, they do it by, if I have enough money, then I'll have meaning. Then, then, I'll, then I'll be important. Uh, or power, if I have enough power. You know, politicians or power in a business or whatever. If I have enough power, or even just to dominate other people in their family, if I have enough power, I'll feel significant. Um, and uh, uh, or beauty or whatever you know, it uh, is, right? Yeah, yeah. Then and and so most people go through life, um, and and they they get up in the morning and they go to work and they come home and and uh, you know they you know they do what they can to impress the, the neighbors and stuff. And, um, and, and they go to bed and sleep and they do the same thing over and over again throughout their lives. And, 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 uh, uh they just, you know, it's, it's like a rat race. I used to sit in the airport, Kristen, uh, um, and just, if I was traveling by myself, I'd find uh, some people carrying on a conversation and, and sit behind them and just listen in. Mm. And it seemed, it seemed like almost always, uh, they took turns bragging about themselves, trying to prove right. their significance to the other person they were talking to. And uh, so you yeah. see a lot of that. Uh, and, and so I encourage people to get out of the rat race. It doesn't work. Um, uh, it, the rat race doesn't work. You can have all the money in the world and you're, and, and you're still not going to be fulfilled. And, um, that's what Solomon concluded too. He had a, a thousand <laughs> wives and concubines. He had a thousand. And he said he did not withhold from himself any pleasure. And he says, but it became meaningless. 
and he was so rich. He had silver nuggets laying all over his yard and, and everything. And, and uh, he was the most, he was the most wealthy person on earth. And for a while he was the most powerful king on earth. And he said, it's all meaningless. And, uh, and then he said, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments and other help, help people. This is the duty of all mankind. Um, and, and he said, if you do that, your life will have, will have meaning. Um, so he, he lived the rat race and then confessed it. Yeah. I've, I've actually, you know, experienced that recently where, um, I was at a very short lived, very thankfully short lived, I'd say maybe three week relationship with someone new where, like I say, with someone new, um, I didn't know them before. And they were going to be, you know, boarding my horse for me. And I'm, I'm dealing with this person and I'm watching how they treat me, how they treat the other people that, and they'll, you know, they'll never listen to this show. So they'll not know that I'm speaking of them, but uh, yeah, absolutely not. There's no depth whatsoever to listen to any of the shows that we do. But, um, you know, it just in a week period, this is someone who was telling me to answer their phone. And telling me I would be coming over to clean up after their dogs and telling me while I'm paying almost what I pay in a wow. in a mortgage payment or a rent payment, as an example, to board my horse at their facility. And I, I'm I'm thinking I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm going, well, I don't I don't have a lot of people like this in my life. This is an interesting experience. What what is this about? And it was fascinating to realize this is, you know, if Michelle Obama or the Queen of England or, um, you know, doesn't matter who it was, was sitting next to them, they would tell them to answer their phone, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It wasn't personal. But I thought, my goodness, this is um, this is someone who inherited money and who wields it uh, in an immature fashion as if that is what gives them the right to treat others less than so and it was so what was that what was that so that person was obviously narcissistic oh my goodness uh, I, I wanted yeah, to so do, what, do a show called the quote unquote your friendly narcissistic <laughs> neighbor. so so what was uh, uh was it a he it was a guy it was right? a she uh, it was a she inherited a she? from what, a from a was, what, what was her purpose in life? Uh, you know, I, what do you think I, her purpose in life is? To teach everyone that comes across her path that they deserve better and to run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what that's the result of her life. But her right. purpose in life is... Uh, to remind you to what your value is. Yeah, that's to, their purpose to, in life. To, Absolutely. Yeah, if she wants to feel more important than everybody else. Yep. And she wants to have power. So yeah. usually, uh, usually we prove our. Usually in the rat race, people for for different reasons they're either attracted to uh, sex, power, or money. Mm-hmm. So either sexual prowess or power, or if I have enough money, I'll feel important. Oh, this was if and I so have hers enough is money. Power. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and it was an exercise in three weeks of me saying no, no. No, no, no. And um, and finally saying, here's my attorney also saying no. Do you hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> because whenever you threaten their money, boy, do they hear you. And I don't yeah. like having to go to those places because that's not who I am. But for people like that, that's the only the only way that they hear you is when you're going to threaten the very thing that they've placed all their power in, which in the case of this woman is the inherited money. So it was just, it was really, it was a very short-term, interesting experience where I went, hmm, that was interesting, and I'm getting out of there. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, you know, how sad, how very sad. Yeah. Um, you know, she'll have be, no, no joy. No, if you live for the rat race, you really don't have joy in life. You have, you know, you, you come to realize like that your definition of uh, existential crisis 
you real you come to a point where you realize that that life is meaningless and and uh and when you die nobody's going to remember you Mm-mm. and and then, and then what what good has it done for her to control people manipulate people use people and all that sort of thing Absolutely. a reporter asked uh john rockefeller when he was the richest man on earth a reporter uh said uh mr rockefeller um how much money will it take for you to feel important and uh this is a true story and he scratched his chin and looked at her and said good question young lady <laughs> It'll take just a little bit more than I'll ever have. Right. Isn't that a great answer? In you other know, words, this, no matter how much he has, yeah. it won't be enough. Here's what was interesting. Um, you know, we're doing this video that eight of our podcasters who all own their own businesses are spending their own money to fly out to where I live in order to be a part of this documentary or docu-series that we're creating called Mental Health Roundtable. They're spending their own money to do this. The production company that came to me and said, we want to film this, they're donating their time to do this. These are incredible human beings that do nothing but good things in the world. And they are donating their time. Exactly. And they're coming in. They're helping people. Exactly. And this woman, no less than eight times, tried to convince me to rent her home for God knows how much a night to have all of these podcasters come and stay in her home, push, push, push for me to do this. No care about who these people are, about how much money they're spending, about the time that they give, about what it is they do in the world, just that she'll get paid for them to stay in her home. And when I, when I said no eight times, and then I finally got a tour of the home it doesn't even have floors. The electrical yeah. outlets are still hanging from the walls. And I thought, this person has no care whatsoever about these people, about their time. And it was just a, you know, I feel for her. But I thought, my goodness, to be so without shame and so without care for others and what they do in the world, that you would try to push an agenda to see how much money you can get out of a bunch of do-gooders. That is pretty horrific. How do you think, uh, Kristen, how do you think people um, who really have a a meaningless life, um, how do you think they they came to the conclusions that they had, like that they can't live without somebody or they deserve to fail or, or it's just a matter of going to work eating, going to bed, going to work, eating, going to bed, just going in circles and not, you know, doing anything. You know, how do, how do different people, how do you think different people, what, what are the influences that, that lead people to make uh, a real lousy choices about their purpose in life? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, I, I would think, um, burying your pain, um, never acknowledging your pain. I don't know, Paul, be, you, you, yeah. you know, that you that have more one. experience than I do with this, but I mean, cause I have done those things too, but not to that extent, but instead I was angry, but then I felt extreme sadness because I do know some of what slipped out from this person's past experience that they've not dealt with and wrote a free pass to that was horrific. Um, and I think, wow, the what we will, the lengths that some of us go through to avoid pain is astounding. Yeah, I think that's a real good one. That yeah, that's a real good one because um, when we have pain, you know, we can either face it and cry about it and share it with with uh, uh, people, a counselor, with friends, and do something about it, or we can get just get busy in the rat race and uh, right. so busy that that we don't look at it that we just bury it. So that, that is, you know, that is a really good one. I think a lot of it comes from childhood too. Absolutely. Um, um, they say, you know, in psychiatry research, that about half of our basic personality is formed by the third birthday and about 85% of our basic way of looking at life is formed by our sixth birthday. So a lot of our purpose in life is already ingrained in us by the time we're six. 
you know, um, you know, the, you, you see your parents and what they do and what they're living for or not living for and uh, how they treat you. If they treat you uh, really bad, like I saw another person today whose um, mom and dad, her, her dad was an alcoholic and her mom and dad always fought with each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they finally split up. And in this this woman is an adult now. She still feels guilty today. She she feels guilty because she blames herself for her parents being miserable and splitting up. And I said, now how could you possibly blame yourself for that? Right. And uh, but as a child, she took on the the counselor role. So she you know there's different roles that we can play in a family. And so she tried to fix them. She spent her her uh, her purpose in life uh, when she was six years old was to fix her mom and dad, and right. she failed to fix them, and so she feels like a failure. So she des- she feels like she deserves to fail now, isn't that? I mean, it's but yeah. you know when she when we talked about it, she said that's really uh, pretty stupid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I more or less agreed with her. Yeah, that is, isn't it? But that's uh, the thing we, is we make three decisions. So she decided yeah. that her her uh, meaning in life came from rescuing people, and then today she made a what we call a redecision. She decided, I'm not going to live for that purpose anymore. I'm going to live for a different purpose. And that's the thing: we can change our minds. I I I remember, you know, the people in my neighborhood know what it is I do. We're going to be filming this show right here in the neighborhood. They know it's a mental health show. And, uh, you know, hearing from this person right out of the gate was, well, I don't need to go to counseling because I don't need a crutch. (laughs) I thought, do you know? I wish everybody everybody would go to counseling for a while. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I thought, my God, that's how you look at counseling, that it's a crutch. It is not strength to shoulder those burdens alone. That is not strength. It just isn't. And our unconscious drives us in the wrong directions. Absolutely. Counseling helps us to to figure that out like this lady did today. She figured it out. Right. um, And made a new decision. For those in our listening family, again, that are listening to us, you may think, well, in order to have meaning, I've got to have a, I've either got to be a psychiatrist or right. or uh, run a podcast company that helps people all over the world <laughs> through uh, uh, 1,600 no, different podcasts. And and you don't. I mean, you can be a a, a carpenter or a plumber or a, a teacher or uh, any any job, um, and uh, and have meaning in your life if you look for opportunities to help people along the way. You know, just see somebody in need and reach out and uh, love somebody and uh, loving and being loved is uh, where it's at. And, and you don't have to be in a, in a, in a counseling career or something like that in order to do that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that. I, I'm able to do that every day. And I, and I go home feeling so good at the end of the day that I've helped people. And I didn't feel real good today because I hurt so much pain from new clients, you know? Right. How do you process that, Paul, when you have, you know, a lot of new clients and they just happen to show up, you know, in the same week or the same day? And yeah, how, how, do, you, how do you do that? You know, how do you process that when you go home? Well, when when I was in residency and I had a day like that, I, I would literally cry. I mean, I, I would feel so I'd, I'd go home and feel depressed. And, but we had a lot of profs at Duke. We had two professors per student, you know, <laughs> we were spoiled. And so I shared that with a prof that I liked and, uh, you know, one of my teachers and, and uh, he said, there's a difference between uh, having empathy for somebody and caring and, and wanting to help them. And uh, um, a kind of sympathy where you think, he said unconsciously, now here's what he thought and, and that he saw in my life. And I think he was probably right. He said, unconsciously, uh, you've learned that if you take on their suffering and you go home and cry for them and suffer for them, that somehow that's going to magically make them better. And it doesn't. He says, not. 
I'm glad that you care. So you can care about these people without going home and, and uh, letting it weigh heavy on your mind because it's not, it's not your job to, you can't cure them magically when you're not talking, you know, not sharing with them. So that helped me a lot. Yeah, but, that helps. You know, I, yeah. I still felt a little bit that way though, 50 of years course. later, you know, today. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I think about that too. I, I think about that also. And I think about, okay, well, where's the line between how many times I've been codependent and I've enabled people, which is not healthy for them and not healthy for me. Um, so that nudge of encouragement, since I'm not a therapist, it's not my job, you know, I'm not, no one's walking into an office for me to help them with their psychiatric or psychological issues. Um, but I've, you know, been very codependent and try to fix everything for somebody. And I've had to learn how to back off from doing that while also still being someone who tries to be helpful. And that's an interesting yeah. dance. You can't, you know, it's like that saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's a really interesting dance for someone who has been a lifetime gold star codependent. <laughs> yeah. I, I told a lady today, I, I had a lot of good experiences today, actually. You know, they, some of them were painful, but, you know, they were still good experiences, but I told a lady today uh, who came in, and we've got a day program, as you know, where people come that are depressed enough to where it's hard to go to work, and and they have death wishes and and things like that. But they're really good, you know, normal, loving, successful people who are going through depression. But but anyway, uh, she checked in today to our day program. They they come for about three weeks, and uh, and and go to therapy seven hours a day, five days a week for three weeks. And um, and I told her, I said, you know, while you're here, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're going to tell you what we see. Our job isn't to think for you or, or tell you what to do with your life. Our, our job is to dig and probe and do psychological testing and and uh, try to get, you know, study your body language and and talk and, and try to figure out what's going on in your unconscious. And, and then, you know, share that back with you. And then you have to decide what you're going to do with that information. And uh, she liked that, you know, so. Um, yeah, yeah. So what do you say, Paul, when you have someone that comes in your office and they are a really good person, they do good things in the world, but they have this tendency to have always enabled people or been codependent and they come to you and they and their existential crisis is, well, I still have a lot of people knocking on the door for me to help them. So, yeah. How do I determine what is helpful and what is hurtful? Uh, that, that's sort of a, a long discussion. You know, <laughs> uh, there's no magical <laughs> step one, two, three. But uh, I mean, it, it, they need to be in therapy and and talk about uh, the you know what they see as their responsibility and what's reasonable and what's not reasonable and and how um, you can actually hurt people by doing uh, too much for them. And uh, there's an example, if you, if, you, if you and some friends went on a camping trip and uh, where you're gonna spend like, let's say three days in the woods. And so you each had uh, a backpack that's, uh, let's say, you know, 20 pounds heavy with all the stuff in it that you need. And then uh, one of your friends is the cook. And so your friend has 20 pounds in her backpack or his backpack plus another 30 pounds of pots and pans. And uh, um, if, if the people are kind and loving, they'll, they'll each take one pot and put it in their backpack and they'll share his overburden. See what I mean? But if you're codependent, you'll find somebody else that has a 20 pound bag and say, here, let me carry that for you. And you'll carry 40 pounds and that person carries nothing. Right, and, and and you think and you think you're doing that person good, but really you're doing that person harm. You're Absolutely. you're teaching that person to be a, a narcissistic sociopath, <laughs> you know, that or, or that they deserve to not carry a burden. Right, you know what I mean. And so that that that's sort of where I would lead the the conversation with somebody that that does that because are you really helping them? You know, even uh, 
it's hard to know what the right thing is to do with our it with is. people that are poverty stricken because you yeah. want to give them food if they're hungry. But, uh, you know, if you give them food, like I say, if you give them food and a fishing pole and teach them how to fish, then uh, you're really being kinder than if you just keep on bringing them food every day. Because then you're yeah. teaching them how to be responsible and like themselves. And yes. Like and I, I've said this before and I'll say it one more time because I think it's, I think it's worth saying again, I had a wonderful therapist who said this to me about my ex-husband. Kristen, every time you think about enabling him, I want you to picture stabbing him with a knife because that is how mm -hmm. bad you're hurting him. Mm -hmm. And magically, I jest <laughs> because it wasn't magically. It took a long period of time. And when you're someone who like, you know, how I am and I'm not putting myself on a pedestal for this because this has its own downside that we'll get into on another show. But I tend to like steamroll. Okay, got to get this done, get this done. Okay, we're moving forward to our healing. Boom, boom, boom. We're on the express way to healing. Boom, 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 boom. That has its own um, issues. But I had to learn that my road to healing healthy or not, sometimes healthy, sometimes not, sometimes in the middle, is not someone else's road. And it is not for me to judge whether they are going fast enough or too slow on their road yeah. to healing. And so yeah. to sit back and watch someone I love, be it my ex-husband or my son or whoever, and see them going through what they need to go through without my interference or my input was me finally growing up, not being codependent, not being an enabler, and not being a judgmental person. Yeah. Which is, which is, it does, it takes a lot of, a lot of growing up. I didn't realize how judgmental I actually was wrapped around my, oh, I'm such a good person. <laughs> well, you are a good person. I, I am, but I mean, even still, even with that going, yeah. oh boy, I was really yeah. putting a, like a time limit on when they're supposed to like get their stuff together. And that is yeah, none right. of my business. That is none of yeah. my business. Yeah. I've done that, that plenty rough. of times as, as a psychiatrist too. Yeah. You know, get mad at people for not getting uh, well quick enough. Yeah. That's rough business. <laughs> and you like, do what you can and then the rest is up to them. That's right. That's right. And then you watch what they're supposed to do and how God and, you know, all these things work in their lives and their time mm -hmm. is perfect for them. And that's not your time because your life is different. Um, I think those kinds of realizations are what help you stay away from those existential crises <laughs> of your you know, own. I just I, I just remembered something else, uh, uh, Kristen. There, there, uh, there was a study done. I'm trying to remember. Oh, I know where. USA Today. I, I guess that still exists. It used to be a real popular newspaper. I think it still exists today, but it used to be on all the newsstands when there were newspapers. You know, it not, does. Not, it does. It's still in hotels. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they they did a poll once a year where they asked uh, people that were. I think 21 years old or, you know, they get, you know, so many thousand random people and ask them, what's your purpose in life? That's exactly what we're talking about right now. Uh, what's your, what's your purpose in life? And um, um, when I was 21, because they've been doing this for like, you know, 50, 60 years. And back uh, in uh, the ancient times when I was 21, <laughs> back in the 1700s, um, uh, they, they, you know, that the, when they asked people their meaning in life, it was to to uh, have a family and to contribute to society and and uh, you know be maybe financially secure or something like that. Those, you know, those came up at the top. And and now, in the most recent one that I saw, um, uh, the the number one answer was, "What's your purpose in life? To enjoy today." Yeah. And the goals were narcissistic goals. They, they weren't, and I'm not saying everybody in the younger generation is that way, 
but a higher percentage of them are um, than, than used to be. And, uh, yeah. uh, and not very many of them said, you know, to, to uh, love others and help others and contribute to society. And I mean, that, that choice doesn't come up much right. anymore. When I was a kid in Michigan, the farmers uh, would go out on the street by their home and set up a table and put a, a bushel basket full of apples there and a, and a sign that said, you know, a dollar an apple and, and put a basket to put the money in. And then they'd come at the end of the day and take their money and go home, go back to their house. You know, now if you did that, the table would be gone. The, you know, the, the money would be gone. The apples would be gone. The, you know, everything would be gone. Uh, things are things are different now than they used to be. Absolutely. Uh, it's not like it's all bad. Today. There's a lot of wonderful young people, but there's just a higher percent. I mean, look at I look at on college campuses. It's if you don't think the way they think, you know, that, then they'll destroy. They'll burn down the building. You have to be politically correct, or 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 you'll be destroyed. I mean, there's some really sick uh, purposes in life that people have today. Just, you know, just really sad. Yes. How much time do you spend listening to the news, Kristen? Uh, is there an average amount of time per day that you watch you the know, news or listen to you it? You know what's interesting? I grew up, you know, watching it every night, and I've consistently watched it less and less and less. And now... I mean, I do have an idea of what's going on out in the world um, because you hear it from so many other different sources. But to be honest, I probably tune in on my phone. I'll go to Google News, um, which is the most random that I could find. I don't want to hear just from this place or just from that place. I want to kind of get a, you know, a mix of, of different things because one side is telling a smidge of the truth and the other is telling a smidge of the other and the rest of it is a bunch so of baloney. Yeah. So much. Again, the, you know, the reporters used to want to report the, the news. Come to your own. Yeah. And now they want to lie. They want, they'll, they'll willfully lie yep. because their goal is to persuade you to think the way they think, even if they have to lie to do that. I mean, that's narcissistic. Absolutely. But, 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 you, but you don't listen to the news. Very much every day, right? No, Maybe, you know, I, I, once, a week, once a week, oh. I read the whole thing, and maybe two minutes a day, I hear a snippet of something of, of what's going on. That's it. It used to be a, a yeah. lot more. My wife and I used to listen, you know, maybe a couple hours a day because I really am interested in what's going on in the world. Uh, but, you know, the, the uh, older we get, the more we think, you know, it's just too painful. I mean, I want to know what's going on in the world, but the news, it doesn't have a whole lot of warm, nice stories about good things that are happening in the world. It's no. you know, all the people raping and killing and yep. uh, you know, all the, the horrible things that are going on in the world. And, and uh, there is so much meaninglessness. And, I try to find those beacons of light that are out there and, and gain uh some insight from that, but I, I now don't, I don't spend a lot of my time there and I won't ruin a wonderful meal that has been prepared by someone that I care about by sitting down and watching the news while I eat. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to stick my head <laughs> in the sand. I, I do no. want to know what's going on in the world, but there's, there's a lot of sad things going on. Look at Venezuela. You know, they they were the one of the they were the wealthiest nation in South America. Now the people are starving to death because you know uh, one guy, the corrupt uh, socialist ruler, you know he gets billions and billions and billions. And everybody else is starving. Talk about the ultimate narcissism. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you That's... see that you see that and you just think, how you know how can that how can that be? Yeah, and I think that ties back to what we, you know, what we're talking about. And this is deserved of so many more shows. I mean, narcissism has always been there. It will always be there. And it is so, it's not even on the rise anymore. It just is. And if you're not awake to that fact, 
then you really are sticking your head in the sand. <laughs> you know, even uh, driving on the on the road, if you if you go, people like there's some places where people are still really nice. And Kansas is one of those. You know, I mean, I live in Texas, and there's a lot of nice people here in Texas too. But I, I don't know if you've ever driven through Kansas. If you drive through Kansas and you come up behind somebody, they'll pull off to the side of the road and wave at you as you go past. You know. Absolutely. Uh, That's where I live too. If, Same if, way. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, and, uh, I lived in California for four years and I'm not saying everybody in California is a narcissist or anything, but, but, uh, you know, here in California, I, I think the more crowded the place is like New York, and Los Angeles, places like that, the more, uh, a higher percentage of people become narcissistic, uh, or life becomes meaningless to them. But in California, you don't blink when you want to change lanes because if you do the people will speed up and not let you in oh yeah same with atlanta i don't the minute i get to atlanta i do not i turn my blinker on three seconds before i'm moving into the next yeah Yeah. so i think they did a study in new york city you know uh in in general uh, uh psychiatric studies show that about one out of four people are what they called uh, neurotic and, and neurotic. That's a not a nice word. It just means, I mean, it's because they're good people. But one out of one out of four people are sad, and depressed, and, and uh, anxious enough to where they're it's interfering with their life. But in uh, Manhattan, uh, where so you know uh, several million people live in a tiny area, it was forty percent instead of twenty five percent that were miserable. You know. And, anxious well i'd say you know to give our listeners hope for tonight the things that they can think about (laughs) (laughs) there is absolutely (laughs) is no there absolutely is the the steps towards you know navigating out of these existential crises that we all have because no one gets off scot-free here we all have these many many times throughout the course of our lifetime so what would you say paul are some things to help you look at these crises and see them as an experience to evolve from instead of something to run from dull with substances or toxic people or whatever, but actually look at them as this is an experience that I can grow from. And that is a worthy endeavor. Yeah. One, one nice thing about uh, being uh, in my seventies, I'm in my early seventies and is uh, I was a good kid when I was young. I mean, I, I've always been a, a person that, you know, cared about others and things like that, but I was so naive when I was young. And, uh, and I thought, well, when I get my MD degree, I'm finding it to feel significant. And, and, uh, and I was happy to graduate, but once I crossed that, that, uh, stage and got my diploma, I felt empty. I, I remember standing there behind the stage waiting for my parents and thinking, you know, uh, everywhere I go, my butt still follows me, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I, and I felt, you know, I felt like it was meaningless after all that effort. And, uh, and but as time goes on, I appreciate age in that regard. I've grown in, in so many different ways that now my life is very happy. I mean, I was happy then too, but I have a very happy life and, and I'm really happy the vast majority of the time. Uh, I mean, I, I will see a sad commercial of people starving to death in, in Africa and cry, you know, because you know, I'm empathetic, but, but I, I have a, a, a very happy life. And I think it is because I, really enjoy uh, helping people to help themselves. Um, and, uh, and and so I go home at the end of every day feeling like, boy, I've, I've contributed uh, to people's lives. And, and like I say, you don't have to be a therapist to do that. You can do that um, just by, you know, saying something positive to the people you work with. And, and, uh, and my uh, God is a real big part of my life. And, and I, I, I chat with him. I don't, I chat with him during the day and uh, and uh, laugh with him and cry with him, and that that's a big part of my life. And and uh, doing this with you is is huge. Yeah. Um, I, I, I saw you know you, you invited me 
to do this. Uh, I think it's been about a year and a half ago now. Right. And uh, and uh, um, I enjoyed uh, you know working doing that with you, and uh, and and I enjoy talking to our listening family. Uh, you and I are talking, but I'm you and I are both thinking in terms of the thousands of people that are going to be listening to us, and it's it's almost like they're present. Like I can look around the room and see them on the walls and uh, to be able to reach out to, you know, if, if we can bring meaning today to people's lives uh, exactly. instead of them being in the rat race, if they get out of the rat race and quit thinking that sex, power, and money are going to get you anywhere right. and uh, instead learn to love. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. Um, I feel... When I left my very busy last few days, tired, still sort of coming out of the fog of being tired, and um, I, I had to sit and think, okay, what? Uh, you're tired. You're, um, you feel drained things are bothering you that normally wouldn't bother you Kristen you know give yourself a break like the self-talk like we've talked about on you know the most recent shows we've done that inner self-talk is so kind to myself now in comparison to years before and that in and of itself is so helpful to me because the kinder that I am to myself in my own head the more I am able to help other people as much as I try to anyway, without being an enabler. Um, and, and that is what makes me feel good. That is what makes me get up and get on the air. And even when I'm tired or whatever, and also it, what it's also what helps me say today, I canceled two things. I was not going to cancel doing this with you tonight, Paul, because this fills me up, but I canceled two other equally important things because I just knew that, okay, I've got seven things on my plate today. That's a lot after the four days I've had. And I'm not willing to cancel Paul. I'm not willing to cancel so these some, other sometimes things. Sometimes we do. You know, if, if yeah, and sometimes, sometimes we do. We'll yeah. Away, you know? uh, yeah, and, and that's okay. And I knew you'd be fine. But I was like, no, because that gives something to me too. But I canceled a couple other things and moved them to another day. Because that's part of me taking care of myself. And so I guess what I'm trying to say, listeners, is the things that you can do for you that are being kind to yourself, those kindnesses to yourself, even if it's possibly disappointing someone else, um, those are extremely important. Those are extremely uh, valid. So go ahead. Go ahead and do those things. That will help you navigate your next existential crisis because I'm sorry to tell you, they never go away. <laughs> You're going to have those the rest of your life. <laughs> somebody to love. And, and, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, yeah. you, you need to have two or three friends yes. that you can share, you can share anything with. Um, you know, you, you can confess your sins to or your sorrows or your failures or share your successes with. And in, and, and that makes uh, life a lot more meaningful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, helping others, um, but also uh, taking care of yourself. If you want to love other people, like Kristen was just sharing with you, you have to fill your own love tank. Yes. So you have to, you have to love yourself in a healthy way and let other people love you and fill your love tank up. Then when it's full, you'll have love to pour out on other people. Absolutely. And that is an, that's a great um, stop to, to uh, tonight's show, to our next conversation about this, because we'll talk about it more. But um, yeah, just know life's difficult. You're going to have more of these crises that come up. And um, the more you take care of yourself, being kind to yourself and others while you do so, the easier it's going to be as you navigate these crises that come up again and again. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Paul, for coming on on a Monday night, the beginning of. Yeah, we, we got on a philosophical topic. Tonight, we did. 
We needed to, though. That was meant to be. (laughs) Well, thank you, Paul. And thank you to our listeners for another episode of Roundtable with Dr. Paul Meyer on Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.